as we open the word to read it and proclaim it, I invite you to join your hearts with mine as we go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we ask you to light the way today with words that will be read, with words that will be interpreted that we might understand anew what triumph looks like in your kingdom, what love looks like in your kingdom, what power looks like in your kingdom. We pray these things in the name of the one who came that we might have life and have it abundantly. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the Psalms, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Amen. And our New Testament lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 19th chapter, verses 28 through 40. So listen now for the word of God to the church. On this Palm Sunday, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So most of us like rules, or at least we recognize the value of rules. Rules give us predictability. Rules prevent chaos, the kind of chaos that you might encounter, for example, at a kid's soccer game. Without rules, it's just a bunch of kids running around in a pack on a field. Who are we kidding? Even with rules, it's just a bunch of kids running around in a pack on a field. But at least there is hope, right? There is the hope that if by some miracle the ball ends up in a goal, somebody will be awarded a point. At the very least, the rules help us keep score. The rules help us to decide who wins. I heard a young dad tell a story one time about a particular Saturday morning soccer game, and the teams were arch rivals to the extent that you can have an arch rival when you're eight, right? But the parents were certainly arch rivals, and the kids started feeding off of that. They started playing a little aggressively, and then a little more aggressively, and then a little dirty, perhaps. And then when the pushing and the tripping started, that's when the parents really got engaged. And this dad who was telling the story admitted that he got kind of worked up. People started cursing at the refs, at the kids, at the people on the other side of the field. And he was even joining in a little bit, he said. He said things were really getting out of hand. And then something happened that changed it all. But before we get to that, we need to reflect a little on Jesus and how Jesus handled rules. As Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he has already earned something of a reputation as a rule breaker. His disciples had picked grain on the Sabbath and eaten it, which made the Pharisees mad. Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on another Sabbath. The Pharisees got mad again. In Luke 8, when an unclean, diseased woman touches Jesus, the rule enforcers wanted to punish her with death, which is what the rule said should happen to her. Instead, Jesus praised her faith and healed her and released her in peace. Jesus touched lepers when he wasn't supposed to. He talked to women when he wasn't supposed to. He refused to wash his hands when he was supposed to. With remarkable consistency, he just ignored certain rules that got in his way. And now as he reaches the walls of Jerusalem, he is still breaking rules. When he needs a ride, he borrows a colt from a complete stranger, and the stranger just lets him take it. Who does that? And pretty much right after he gets into town, he will challenge the rules of buying and selling at the temple. Literally cracking a whip, he will clear out the sacrificial animals. He will angrily flip over the tables of the money changers. And anyone who's been paying attention all along could not really have been all that surprised Take, for example, his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. In that set of lessons, Jesus makes it clear that he's come to shake up or break some rules. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not physically murder, but I say to you that even anger or resentment against another can be dangerous and sinful. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that even a look or a thought can be sinful. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say that if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. You have heard it said, store up as much treasure as you can so that you and your family will be safe. But I say to you, store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal, for you cannot serve both God and wealth. You have heard that it was said that you should worry about what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will wear, but I say to you that life is more than food and the body is more than clothing, so strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you will have what you need. And now, even as he rides, he challenges the rules. You've probably heard it said that kings should come with power and with arrogance, speaking loudly and brashly with sword drawn, surrounded by military might in the spoils of war. But I come to you today as a different kind of king, one who rides in simplicity and humility, one who leads with love, one who wishes to show you that weakness can be strength that what seems foolish can be wise, and that those who are last in the eyes of the world will be first. And although only his closest friends had any clue of this now, over the weekend to come, Jesus would break the biggest rule of all, the rule of death. And he would break it in at least two ways. You've heard it said that God if one truly is God, cannot suffer and could certainly never die. But I say to you that the Son of God must suffer and must die. And you have heard it said that someone who does die will never live again. But I will show you that even death, the greatest enemy of all, can be defeated by love. Just when that Saturday morning soccer game was really getting out of hand, when the arguments over the rules were rising up to a fever pitch, a lone voice called out from one of the sidelines. Looking for a kid. The players on the field immediately froze. Everybody on the benches quieted down. Someone on the opposing team could not find his four-year-old child. And without anybody having to say another word, everybody fanned out. People ran in every direction. Dads from the home team linked up with guys from the visiting team to comb the area. For 10 minutes, that group searched as one cohesive unit with one purpose until somebody found the little fella. He just wandered off with another family. And as the grateful father wrapped his lost son in a huge and thankful hug, the dad who was telling the story realized that 
just moments before, he had been yelling at this exact same guy to shut up because he had been annoying him so badly. The teams went back and they finished the soccer game, but there was a lot less yelling. Everything was cleaner, with a lot more grace and a lot more understanding and a lot more gratitude. They had all been arguing up and down about the rules, but in the heat of the argument, they had forgotten one of the most important rules. In fact, one of the parents who were there saw the whole situation as a metaphor for how we are living and treating each other in our society today. Even with so many benches and so many teams and dirty play, she said, we still know that we belong to each other. We still know that there is no such thing as other people's children. One of the rules is that every once in a while, we just got to stop yelling and take care of each other's babies. And then she concluded with a piece of advice that she says she now tries to live by. Find a moment to break the rules today. Stop the game and find each other again. I think that soccer game, how it spun out of control and how it found itself again, gives us a key to understanding why Jesus broke so many rules. It was not that he did not think that rules could be helpful or that rules could be good. In fact, he said explicitly, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish the rules, but to fulfill the rules. When Jesus broke or bent rules, he did not just throw them out. He just reminded us that love is the goal. Love is always the lens through which followers of Christ enforce and interpret a rule. And if a rule is being applied in unloving ways, then we as Christians have misunderstood the rule. And if the rule stands in the way of love, the pattern of Christ is to break that rule or bend that rule in the name of love. If a rule got in the way of someone hungry being fed, Jesus broke the rule. If a rule would have kept him from healing someone who needed healing, Jesus broke the rule. If a rule kept Jesus separated from the people he loved, he broke the rule. But he never broke a rule to help himself. Only to help others. And only to help us. So I have to think that this is the mindset of Jesus as he rides into Jerusalem with those palm branches waving around him. Yes, he is coming in to break some rules, to crack some eggs, to shake things up, but he is only breaking the rules that were keeping us away from God, keeping us from loving God, keeping us from loving each other. Jesus is coming in to stop a game that had gotten out of control. A game that no one was winning so that we might find each other again. Thanks be to God for our rule-breaking Savior.
Amen.